Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Three U.S. firefighters have died in Australia. Their plane carrying fire retardant went down in the mountains south of Canberra, the Australian capital, on Thursday. The New York Times reports nearly 200 American fire personnel have been deployed to Australia since December to help fight the bushfires that have raged there since October. An estimated 25 million acres have burned. Coming up, we talk with a Yale researcher about how habitat loss will impact hundreds of millions of animals on the continent. First, what caused the devastating fires in Australia? Scientists say climate change has exacerbated the fire season. And why is Australia one of the most fire-prone continents on Earth? To help answer that question and more, joining me by phone is Rebecca Buckholtz, project scientist with the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, before we talk about your work as a scientist, I wanted to let our listeners know that you're actually Australian. Uh, we're very sorry to see what's happening uh, to your home country. You were there recently for the holidays. Uh, tell us uh, what you experienced when you went there. Yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking. Um, I went back for the holiday break to visit my family in Canberra, the capital of Australia. And for the whole two and a half weeks I was there, we couldn't see the sun because the smoke was so thick. And at one point we couldn't see across the, the road um, and Canberra was the most polluted major city in the world as well, which is quite unusual. And so how is that impacting residents? Are they trying to avoid being outside? I mean, obviously that smoke can't be a good thing to breathe in. Yeah, it's really bad for health. So people were tending to stay inside. We didn't go outside very much at all. If we did go outside, we had to wear the uh, P95 respirators to protect our lungs from breathing in the smoke. And we really tried to stay inside um, for the whole holiday we were home during the Australian summer. Yeah. From news reports, it seems uh, most of the fires are are in the uh, southeastern part of Australia. But in terms of, of the magnitude of the fires, the fact they've been burning for so long, is this impacting uh, much of the country in terms of the smoke? So a lot of the population live on the eastern coast of Australia. So Sydney and Melbourne are two of the most populated locations in Australia, 5 million people each, and around 5 million people each. And so these places are being impacted by the smoke that gets transported from these fires. Mm. Uh, this time of year is also considered uh, a fire season in Australia. And, and how is this season uh, shaping up to be much different from previous seasons, Rebecca? So this season started a little bit earlier than we usually have. Usually we have the fires more like now, um, early early in the year. But this, these fires started all the way back in October last year. And what we're seeing from the emissions are the emissions from the east coast from this fire are larger than we've seen in the last 20 years. So it's definitely a large fire season. Mm. Uh, in terms of when we think about the role of, of climate change, can you talk about, um, you know, typical uh, Australia has uh, seasons of drought, but how is climate change uh, making it worse, Rebecca? 
Right. So there's there's a couple of ways that climate impact fires. So there's there's climate variability, and that is um, associated with these climate modes such as the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And the El Nino Southern Oscillation has to do with temperatures in the Pacific Ocean. And how those temperatures are, are working in the Pacific Ocean is they drive moisture either towards Australia or away from Australia. When we have an El Nino, we have really dry, hot conditions in Australia. So the moisture is driven away from Australia in an El Nino. And what we're seeing with climate change is there's been some research that suggests we're going to be sitting in more El Ninos in the future. And that means more dry and hot conditions in terms of this climate variability that's driving, you know, the, the, the droughts and wet seasons of Australia. Mm. And then in general, just climate change will create hotter, drier conditions. Mm. Uh, is this something that um, scientists have projected would happen to Australia at some point, but has uh, the, the outcome sped up? I think, uh, like I was saying, there is this natural variability in the system as well, and I, I think we're seeing uh, there's this underlying increase in temperatures and dryness and heat, and this is the variability on top of that underlying increase. So the, the variability could be driving it even hotter and drier than we would see um, with that underlying increase. Mm. Uh, again, I'm speaking with Rebecca Buckholtz, project scientist with the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, as we talk about uh, these fires that have been raging in Australia uh, for uh, a few months now. Uh, on the ground, uh, we heard reports that with uh, rain that did fall a week or so ago, uh, that some of these uh, megafires um, um, have been extinguished. But are there other areas where these fires are still raging? There is still some fires uh going on in Australia, uh, we probably won't see all of the fires uh, put out until later in the season. Mm. And yeah. as as we talk about uh, climate change, uh, when we, we think about these fires burning for so long, they're also releasing carbon dioxide. Uh, what do scientists know in terms of, of the amount of carbon that's been uh, released uh, because of these fires and how that contributes to climate, uh, Rebecca? Right, yeah. So fires can really have the potential to amplify climate change and it's through these emissions is one way that they could um, amplify that climate change. It's all around, it all comes down to like the balance between burning and growing. So the fires emit smoke and in that smoke it has particles and the carbon that you mentioned and the carbon, if that's out of balance with the growing, if more carbon stays in the atmosphere than is taken out of the atmosphere from growing season, then that carbon will contribute to um, amplifying the climate change. Uh, we've seen reports that we're looking at 25 million acres that have been burning. Uh, any idea how long, uh, when we think about the forest being able to revitalize themselves, uh, to be able to be restored, and how that can really exacerbate uh, what's happening there? Right. It can take, uh, it can take years to decades to restore restore forests and it depends on a lot of things in particular some of the precipitation and moisture that we'll be getting and and so things like the climate variability bringing that moisture to Australia will be, be important in regrowing these these forests. Mm. Um, I'm sure you're aware there have been uh, some discussions, especially in right-wing media, that uh, says it's it's arson that's making these fires worse, not climate change. And how do you, as a scientist, respond uh, to uh, those claims? 
Yeah, this is something interesting. When I came back to the U.S. from my holiday, everybody was asking me, oh, we've heard that it's been arsonists and, and what's that about? And I was quite surprised because lightning definitely plays a role in starting these fires. And in some ways, it, it doesn't matter how the fires started. They got so big because of the underlying dry and hot conditions that we had. Uh, we hear that, again, it, it is fire season, but it's usually peaking around this time. And so it doesn't sound like uh, uh, the, the danger has really passed for uh, the country in terms of, of how we think about uh, these uh, droughts that continue uh, in Australia. I mean, this could be a pattern that, that continues uh, for, for future years. For sure. It's, we definitely have regular fires in Australia and this kind of a pattern uh, research has shown that um, or has predicted that in the future climate change will um, produce more fires. And so this is something that we might see in the future. So it's really important to study how we might be changing um, the natural fire system. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's uh, obviously a debate about climate change uh, in this country. Um, as a scientist, you know, what are um, some ways to continue to talk about uh, this so that uh, people understand uh, the many factors that are contributing uh, to these, uh, these natural disasters that are happening? I think what's really important in terms of the conversation around climate change is people start talking to their neighbours about it. We're, we're talking, uh, the, the scientists are communicating uh, what we know about climate change, but general people talking about climate change and what they know and just having conversations about climate change can really help the, um, the movement forward. Mm-hmm. What has been the, re- the recognition in Australia uh, when climate change is discussed? How does it compare or contrast to, to the debates you hear here, Rebecca? Uh, when, so when I was back in Australia, there was definitely uh, this particular fire event has really brought climate change to the forefront of people's minds in Australia. And I definitely saw um, a swelling of movement in the general public all, all over social media and just people that I would talk to when I was at the shops. And that was really encouraging. Mm. Uh, so, you know, just generally when we think about climate change, it's making these uh, wildfires that have happened in the past larger and more frequent because not only are we looking at the dryness caused by these multiple year droughts, but also the, the typical the fire weather uh, that Australia sees. Is that all correct? That sounds great. Yes. <laughs> Well, Rebecca, uh, we appreciate speaking with you. Um, we are um, happy to, to speak with you to understand, again, uh, you know, how scientists are looking at uh, climate change. And as we look at these severe events happening around the globe, uh, you know, in this country, we think of uh, the wild, the fire season in California and how, uh, again, you mentioned El Nino in the, the impacting Australia. That's also something that can impact us here as well. Yeah, El Nino is something that is a huge variability system in in the Earth uh, system, and it can definitely impact regions far away from the Pacific Ocean, but also North America, South America. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Rebecca Buckholtz for joining us again, project scientist with the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado. Rebecca, thanks again. 
Thanks for having me on the show. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, you've seen the headlines. Estimates that up to a billion animals have perished in the Australian fires. But what will be the long-term impact of species and habitat loss in Australia? We talk about that after the break. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The Australian wildfires have impacted many people who have lost their homes. To date, there have been 25 deaths. The environmental toll is particularly sobering. More than 25 million acres have burned, leading to estimates that hundreds of millions of animals have died. What will this mean for many species unique to Australia? Joining us now via phone is Walter Yetz, Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Yale University and Director of the Yale Center for Biodiversity Movement and Global Change. Uh, Walter, welcome to where we live. Good morning. Hello. Uh, So tell us, uh, when we think about your colleagues who are based in Australia, what are you hearing from them them in terms of, again, this impact on, on many species in Australia? Yeah, it's uh, it's disturbing news, and uh, um, thanks to uh, an earlier sabbatical, I, I have a, a number of close colleagues over in Australia and the southern Australia that's been most affected, and 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 they've been, uh, yeah, been uh, been sharing quite some sobering news with me as well as as the news that we've all heard through the through the media. Uh, you mentioned earlier that estimate of a, a billion animals affected, and uh, uh, the issue is, is even larger than that. In that, uh, yes, uh, there. Are, these individuals dying, which is really sad, but uh, many more may get wiped out in the future from these consequences. And what's particularly disturbing is that there are a number of, of uh, habitats, ecosystems, uh, species that are really uh, yeah, restricted to that very corner of the world, mm-hmm. don't occur anywhere else. And, uh, um, and we're really, really worried about their fate. So let's talk about these unique uh, animals that are found uh, nowhere else but Australia. Uh, many of us uh, think of koalas and kangaroos, but but tell us more of some of these other uh, species that you mentioned uh, that um, are facing big loss. Yeah, so the koalas have made the headlines, and and many of you may have seen those those images that are really sort of heart wrenching, uh, uh, seeing seeing the koalas taken away from from these fires burning behind them. But uh, uh, there is a whole. Uh, vast uh, biodiversity in this very region. Koalas will be and are very much impacted by this, but other species will be much, much more so. So there's a whole suite of animals called the marsupials that are, are largely uh, uh, restricted to to Australia. Uh, you find some of the members of that group also in, in South America and up here in the US even, but, but the, 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 the core is has evolved there and is diversified there. And uh, these are mammals, very uh, um, charismatic mammals. We know the kangaroos, but there are many others that are more rodent-like, that, that are subterranean, uh, they're bandicoots. They're a whole suite of, uh, uh, of species that uh, may be much, much more affected than uh, the koalas we may have seen in the headlines. There are frogs. There is a, a whole set of bird species, um, such as uh, a really, really a uh, beautiful uh, bird called the glossy black cockatoo um, and uh, a whole suite of other smaller species that have very restricted uh, ranges. Uh, so they may be restricted to just a few uh, forests uh, in that part of Australia. And uh, we now need to, to worry about their, their fate and, and whether future generations of humans will ever be able to see them again in the wild. Mm. 
Uh, you mentioned, Walter, that uh, the images are heartbreaking and uh, we uh, tend to focus on uh, the number that have uh, potentially died or the severe burns. But let's talk more about this long-term impact of these fires. As you mentioned, uh, the animals, we think about habitat loss, the 25 million acres that have, uh, that have burned. So of the animals that have been able to flee or survive uh, as they return, uh, what are the, the factors that are stacked against them? Exactly. That's that's the worry, right? That uh, um, uh, while animals may have been able to stick it out, perhaps bury on the ground or, or, or run away, fly away, they'll come back now to an immensely altered uh, situation where uh, they will uh, not have the same food supplies that they were used to. They may be missing some of your, their uh, other interactors that they depend on in some other form. And uh, uh, w- Many of those animals that may have survived may, may in fact, be, be, be ghosts. Uh, they're, they'll, be, they'll be gone, ultimately. They're not representatives of the species anymore in that they, uh, 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 they're uh, very unlikely to, to uh, um, be able to, to uh, um, breed or uh, reproduce. And uh, it's, it's, it's a real worry, and it's one that we can't quite, quite estimate yet, right? And... Um, many of the extinctions, local population losses and species extinctions may only uh, arise over the next uh, years, over the next tens of years, potentially. You now have uh, introduced species, uh, um, dogs and rats and others uh, potentially uh, uh, taking over, uh, invasives they're called, taking over uh, some of these, these places and it may be impossible for the natural habitats and the natural food webs to, to ever come back uh, in the original forms. A lot of uh, members of these, this, this intricate network um, will, uh, will, may not have a, a place anymore in the future. I'm talking with Walter Yetz, Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Yale University, also Director of the Yale Center for Biodiversity Movement and Global Change. As we consider uh, the impact of these, uh, again, megafires in Australia, the impact on habitat and uh, species lost uh, there. Uh, Also, when we think about uh, these animals uh, that have perished or how their uh, food webs have been uh, changed, how that may impact humans uh, uh, in Australia as well in terms of agriculture, Walter. Absolutely. So uh, uh, it's uh, this food web getting disturbed, uh, uh, impacted, many vital nodes getting lost. Uh, will will have repercussions that go beyond the very places that burn. That will affect uh, neighboring locations, and will ultimately affect uh, yeah human well-being in the region. Uh, we are talking about scientists are talking about uh, literally trillions. Uh, of losses among the invertebrates. So there are some enigmatic, uh, beautiful species, such as uh, a species called the Richmond birdwing butterfly, beautiful uh, species of butterfly. There are um, spiders called the peacock spiders that are, that are they're equally uh, just amazing creatures uh, and been, been called the jewels of the arachnid world, of, uh, the jewels among the spiders worldwide. So this issue of, of extinctions and potentially global extinctions goes way beyond uh, mammals and birds. And... Uh, um, many of these species, especially the invertebrates, uh, and we've all had seen the headlines about, about loss of bees and, and loss of insects um, uh, and, and the repercussions of that for agriculture, for our uh, economies, uh, uh, there, there, there will be uh, impacts felt down the road. Uh, there will be a whole new strategies required uh, in, in the agriculture and the way uh, 
that those places get used because of that uh, altered uh, situation, that altered ecological situation of the surroundings. So this is there's a lot to unpack, uh, a lot of uh, research to be done, a lot of a lot to be understood still. But it's without doubt that uh, the long-term costs, not just ecological but also economic, uh, uh, will be will be vast. Uh, you mentioned that there's still a lot that needs to be uh, understood, and scientists are working to do that. Uh, but when we look at events uh, in the last hundred years or more, is there any kind of event that um, scientists can look back to uh, as they consider what's happening to Australia today? You know, uh, it's this was the, the 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 hottest year on record, or this period of of, of drought drought was the 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 worst uh, since since the record started in Australia there is a, isn't actually a directly comparable uh, situation. However, this type of uh, disaster uh, we've we've seen in other places before, actually close to home in in, in the U.S. in California, right? Uh, the the wildfires that happened there have some of the same potential causes um, and uh, have uh, similar types of impact here, obviously not magnified by by the high human population density in in many of the parts of California where these fires happen. But uh, this issue of of uh, these Mediterranean type or, or drier forest uh, habitats getting now hit by these uh, more extreme uh, weather events, um, these droughts, uh, is is an issue that uh, we we have been seeing in other places before, and uh, 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 the, the chaparral habitat in particular in, in in California has for decades been been studied. Uh, in that regard, and and there is uh, accumulating uh, knowledge. But uh, uh, let me say this: there is one uh, thing that's that's uh, uh, appreciated that the uh, changes to the natural fire regimes are uh, that that have come about to human uses of the landscapes uh, have have certainly magnified the issues that we are we are seeing today. But and there is something that may be possible to do about that for smart uh, uh, local fire management. We can talk a little more about that. But uh, this other issue of of just the these extreme events driving these 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 large fires is is just something that that is now going to happen more and more through through the changing climate worldwide. You were talking earlier about how uh, how human uh, humans are encroaching uh, onto ecosystems, uh, not just thinking about the severe weather events uh, that are driving uh, or impacting biodiversity loss. Yeah, and that's obviously magnifying the uh, uh, ecological uh, problem or issue that's arising from these fires, and as well as the, the economic uh, uh, consequences. So, um, in uh, especially in California, but also in in, in parts of, of of Australia where these fires happened, uh, the the ecosystems have already been fragmented in uh, in major ways through through all sorts of uses: urbanization, uh, agriculture. Uh, uh, Commercial uh, forestry, mm. and uh, it's uh, those those uh, that fragmentation that now means some of the the, the patches that got wiped out through the fires uh, cause even larger distances for animals to to be able to escape the fires or uh, uh, be able to to make it back um, to what could be suitable habitats for them. And uh, uh, but it's also the case that. This, these nearby human uses have been uh, have been altering the the natural dynamics of these forests, and and it's really important for us to understand that fires, wildfires, 
are a natural part of these ecosystems. And in fact, they're, and some of them are defined by uh, every now having a fire going through. And many of the, the plant species are well adapted to that. Mm-hmm. Many eucalypt species, for example, the way the barks work and uh, uh, many of the other plants uh, are used to, to wildfires coming through. However, uh, they are used to different types of fires. They're used to fires that in the past used to be smaller in scale, didn't go quite so hot and, and, and large, um, uh, and uh, uh, the seeds as well as the, the, the plants themselves um, could, could deal with, with those, those smaller fires, those smaller scale fires. But these, these new types of fires where you have vast landscapes burning and uh, uh, temperatures developing that are completely new to, to these ecosystems, uh, uh, that's the, the really, really troubling part. And that will be the tricky one to address going forward. Uh, Walter, we only have a, a couple of minutes left, but I did want to ask, when we think about Australia as an island, again, certain species that are found nowhere else but Australia. Uh, in this country, when certain animals have been locally extinct, uh, thinking about wolves and Yellowstone uh, brought from Canada, is that something that can happen, that can help Australia, certain species, or because they're so unique, if they... Um, you know, perish. There's no way of bringing them back. You know, um, yeah, we, we we wish and we we look at these images, right? Where we're again seeing koalas carried away and into safety, and then uh, you think, well, somebody will bring them back again when the habitat looks fine uh, some years down the road. So we, it's 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 uh, heartening to to think about that potential, and and for a few select species that may may work, um, and. However, for, for many others, uh, it's, it's economically, it's practically completely uh, I- impossible. Uh, first of all, uh, because of the cost of these translocations, because of the impact, because many of the other parts of the food web have changed right through these fires, through these impacts. So you can't just bring something back uh, and expect it will work like it did before. And most troublingly, um, some of these species will just be, uh, there, there won't be any holdouts. Um, there are several species of plants, several species of, of, uh, uh, of animals, uh, where about 70% of their habitat and up to 100% of uh, the pursued populations have, uh, global populations, have, have been impacted or expected to, to be impacted over the next months uh, through, through this change. So essentially, We'll be looking at a number of species that will, in what we say, be ecologically extinct. There may still be a few around, um, but ultimately uh, uh, they may be beyond, uh, yeah, beyond mm-hmm. recovery, and uh, that's the most troubling uh, and, and worrying uh, prospect here. That there may some of these species, whether it be these these uh, enigmatic butterflies, this jewel of a of a, a spider. Or indeed, uh, some of these uh, uh, immensely um, charismatic bandicoots or potteroos or uh, owls and, and, and uh, so on uh, will, will just not be uh, around for, for future yeah. generations of humans. And, yeah. and this really nails the issue of, 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 of climate change and, and its impacts on humanity. Uh, Walter, again, uh, we just have a little bit of time, uh, but uh, you know, listeners may be feeling helpless <laughs> Hearing this uh, conversation, is there anything that uh, they, that Americans can do to help with the research that needs to be done um, as Australia tries to recover? 
Yeah, I would. Uh, uh, I don't have any any very direct com- recommendations regarding conservation organizations. Uh, uh, however, you're, you know the international ones. I know the World uh, WWF is very active in the region, as well as other uh, conservation organizations, and and I think some of the the media that, that's been going around has been been sharing some of the places where one could potentially donate and and help in some of the recovery efforts. That's Walter Yetz, professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at Yale University and director of the Yale Center for Biodiversity and Global Change. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show was produced by Carmen Baskoff. This week, we're bringing you a Where We Live Extra, produced by Carmen. She talks with a researcher about one of nature's weirdest animals that live right here in Connecticut. Check it out in Where We Live's podcast feed.